Um, Professor John T. Harvey, I'd like to welcome you to Scotonomics. Welcome to Scotonomics. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So um, you're, you're a professor in um, Texas, and um, we want to ask you lots of questions about inflation. So I think the first one we should start with is, can you give us a definition of what inflation actually mm -hmm. is? Yes, I can, which would have made for a very short interview if I'd opened with no right there, but I, I actually can. Um, it, it's just an average increase in the price of, of goods and services. Uh, what they do is, it's actually kind of interesting, that they survey people to see what they buy in an average month, for example. <clears throat> I assume it's the same way in the UK. And then they track those prices over time. And the inflation numbers you see, for example, that were just released in the US today, is simply an average of the increase or decrease of those prices. Today, it indicated that U.S. prices of goods and services had increased by 5.4% over the past year. And the uh, big chunk of that was just used cars. So, you know, you have to break it down and see, you know, oh, my gosh, that everything's more expensive. No, 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 that's not true. Uh, and if you're not in the market for a used car, it's not really going to affect you at all. Um, but it's just an, an average increase in prices. It does not include um, stock prices or, or anything like that. However, you can have spillover from such things. Um, it, it's quite possible to have an increase in oil prices, for example, just because oil price futures get bid up because people decide to speculate in that market. But nevertheless, the inflation figures you see are just for goods and services, and they are based on, hopefully, a representative um, set of goods that people tend to buy on you know a monthly basis and of course they update that over time no one buys uh you know a track tape players anymore for example so we can drop that one out safely but that sort of thing does that kind of cover what you were asking that's perfect um yeah i think uh, I, I wanted to go through the things that you said in the forbes article which i thought were very succinct and very clear when you're talking about inflation i think the point you've just made is that people have to bear in mind when they say when inflation is going up, they really have to look inside that and what that actually means, um, rather than just take it as you know, oh, it, everything's going up. Right. So what you said first of all in that article is that inflation doesn't hurt everyone because it's a redistribution, not a net loss of income. So could you elaborate on that? I could indeed for many hours. Uh, however, <laughs> I will do my best to hold it shorter than that. And let me almost uh, let me back up into the wrong view first, and that is the, the common view that it, it hurts everyone. And this, I think, comes from a couple of places. One, for those of us that grew up in the 70s and, and 80s, um, the increase in gas prices, uh, oil prices did feel like it hurt everybody. But then, of course, it wasn't hurting the oil industry and the people who were selling the oil. Um, but I'll, I'll come back to that. And second, I think this whole view of it hurts everyone, therefore we must desperately stop it. And I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, uh, but, but it, it sure is a convenient way for neoliberal types to argue that when the economy is expanding and wages are finally being bid up, and yes, that's going to be inflationary. When, wage, when the people that work at the fast food places are going to be paid more, then yes, your hamburgers are going to be more expensive. 
Um, and when they when they outlawed slavery in the United States, cotton became more expensive. But you know what? Who cares? All right. That, that wasn't the point. So these people have um, and I can make make the case here for the U.S. In particular are, are paid very poorly. And at the end of an expansion, when there's a labor shortage and we've been at the price of labor. Oh, no. Say the neoliberal economists uh, who are both Republicans and Democrats. We've got to throw the economy into recession. Well, and, and if I can sell this as it's hurting everyone, then everyone's behind it. Uh, and, and that's exactly how people are feeling right now. Oh, no, there's this inflation that's hurting everyone. Um, and, and so we've had a, a pattern, uh, at least since Reagan Thatcher, so many horrible patterns since Reagan Thatcher, um, of you know every time the economy seems to be, all right, now we're really moving. And then the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England tries to slow everything down again. So um, first of all, the, the, the wrong view is rooted, I think, in the historical experience of many of us uh, from the oil crisis, because we were oil importing countries, uh, and also from this Milton Friedman neoliberal view of the government's, you know, uh, keep our hands off and, and uh, uh, inflation is a terrible, horrible thing. Uh, so we need to throw the economy into recession, which really hurts the working class more than anyone else, uh, at least at that point of an expansion, if that's the cause of the inflation. So the right view is, uh, and what I had suggested when I was given the example of the 1970s and 80s inflation, clearly everyone wasn't worse off. Clearly there were people who were gaining tremendously from this. Uh, inflation, you should always ask yourself, Who's getting richer and who's getting poorer? Now, was it true that, that, that oil exporting countries were also having to pay more for their Mercedes because of the inflation? Well, yeah. I mean, if your income goes up by 50% and the prices you pay go up by 10%, you're much better off. All right. So, so this, this now you might think to yourself, oh, gosh, I'm paying 10% more. I could be even wealthier. Yeah. But the deal is you caused the inflation by, you know, withholding the oil, which drove up the prices, which made Texas a very popular place to be because of the oil industry here. We naturally moved here after the oil industry collapsed. And so things were very bad. But um, I remember when I was in college, I graduated undergrad in 83. Everybody was majoring in geology uh, because this was the industry to be in. Uh, and so clearly everyone wasn't worse off. There was a, a pattern in what people were, were majoring in and so forth. Uh, and, and so, you know, you have to think about, and I could go on and on, but I'm going to just stop right there. Uh, inflation isn't an equal increase in prices everywhere. It's never going to do that. And, and I always find this funny that uh, certainly this isn't true of MMT scholars, but of supporters of MMT, we're always big on, hey, if the government has a deficit, then somebody else has to have a surplus. Why don't we say that with inflation? Hey, if I'm paying more, somebody's getting more. It's impossible for that not to be true. And unless all prices and wages are simply a price, uh, unless all prices are rising equally, in which case it's not hurting anybody, you know, my wages go up by 10%, my prices go up, then somebody's prices are going up more than somebody else's. And if it is, uh, and I can get into this more later, but I'm just going to suggest it right now. Um, there are reasons why we would want people to become wealthier in a market system um, that, well, I'm gonna get into it right now. There's a very quick example that everyone could easily associate with when all this hell started uh, in spring of 2020, the price of rubbing alcohol went way up, right? 
uh, and it, it led, um, and hopefully not too many of the Scotch distillers, uh, but but they they switched from making uh, liquor to drink to making alcohol to clean your hands. Why? Because the price went up. And, and what was the result? We got more of what we needed. We we needed more of that. Now we could also have you know the government intervene and help as well, which I would not be at all against. But the rising prices in that industry were not a reason to throw the economy into recession. The rising prices in an industry caused a change in the production patterns that met our needs at the time. And that was we need more you know, rubbing alcohol. We have lots of extra left over now, of course, but perhaps the Delta variant will allow us to use that up too. Let's hope not. Anyway, I'll stop right there. Um, yeah. As you can tell, I have lots to say about it, but yeah. You are completely right. That did happen in Scotland. The distilleries did, some of the distilleries did actually start um, um, dealing with that. So the second thing that you brought up in that article as well is that inflation triggers useful changes in production and consumption patterns. Could you elaborate on that point? Yes, that's exactly the thing uh, with the um, distilleries is that what, what happened was when the prices went up for the you know alcohol, uh, for, for the medicinal alcohol, maybe I'll, I'll distinguish it that way. Uh, then people shifted away from the drinking alcohol that they've been producing, which was a shame because we all needed a lot of that. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we wanted. In the 1970s, during the oil crisis, apparently the price of ceiling fans went way up because it was suddenly a huge demand to put, and I wish I had one in this room because Texas is very hot, but uh, ceiling fans, well, okay. I mean, we wanted more ceiling fans. Ceiling fans became more profitable and more ceiling fans were created. Now, there's absolutely a reason to want to resist increases in prices for things that are, you know, sort of essentials like housing, for example. I mean, you know, we, we certainly, I'm not making a case for, oh, the market's wonderful, keep the government out. But I am saying that it's strange that, that mainstream economics, one of the few times that the market does something that makes sense, they try to intervene and stop it. Uh, they try to throw the economy into recession because, oh no, it's heating up. Um, and um, so th th that, that, that is the issue that when the prices for these things go up right now, as I mentioned earlier, a big part of the increase in um, inflation in the US, and I was just looking at the numbers, I believe the price of used cars has increased by 45% um, over the past year, which is, is really remarkable. Well, it's gonna cause more cars to be produced, right? So what do people want? They wanted more cars. Now, on the other hand, housing prices are going up here. And, and actually, Karen, I think you were talking about this earlier. A lot of it is just speculation. That we don't want. That is not people wanting to live in homes, driving up the price and creating more homes for people to live in. Um, but uh, yeah, it can, it, it can trigger useful changes in consumption and production patterns. Again, I'm not saying inflation's good. I'm saying inflation is like a fever when someone's sick, all right? It, it's a symptom of something else, all right? So you need to find out what's going on. Uh, and if the fever is from your body fighting off an infection, oh, well, we'll wait till the fever's done and, and it will have accomplished something positive. If it's from some sort of infection that your body is losing the battle to, uh, then no, we, we want to stop that. But the inflation itself is only a symptom and it can be a symptom of something that's actually a useful process. Oh, I like that. I, I like any kind of anatomical ana analogy. Oh. <laughs> that always works for me. Uh -huh. um, now, you've, you've kind of touched on this as well, but I do want to segregate these points out for the audience as well. Um, inflation, the third one, inflation can result fr from socially beneficial developments like rising wages. So you have touched on this. Again, could you maybe give us a little bit more information? Yeah. Yeah, no, I would like to mention that more. And I don't I haven't read that article, by the way, since I wrote it. So I don't know exactly what it says. Um, 
But uh, one of the things that's really handy that you can look up uh, from, the, from, from MIT is they, they create a spreadsheet of living wages for every county, uh, I believe every county uh, in the United States. And uh, it, it, it's very conservative in how much it's assuming people will spend. I, when I go over these data in class, I say, look, uh, they're assuming that people spend $8 a day on food. All right. So uh, can you get away with that? Yeah. But, you you know, don't supersize it at McDonald's because you won't be able to afford it anymore. Um, so let, let's say that. And what I would really like, of course, is a job job guarantee uh, is the way I would like to see us address the unemployment problem and, and the problem of the of uh, the working class. But let's say we just increase minimum wage. All right. It's a big debate in the U.S. right now. Uh, is that inflationary? Of course it is. Of course, it's going to be more expensive to, 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 you know, make a hamburger or whatever. But if we have an industry that has to depend on starvation wages to exist, then it shouldn't exist. Um, and so there was a whole war fought about that over here, that there was an industry that wasn't going to be profitable if they weren't allowed to own other human beings. And so, well, OK, then it shouldn't exist. Uh, and, and by the way, that war is still being fought here. Um, uh, you, you should. It's 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 OK. Well, we're retiring to Ireland. Uh, I have Irish citizenship as well, and we're getting the hell out of Texas. Uh, really friendly people here, but then of course I'm a white male, so that that really helps. Um, but John, is that exclusive? Is that an exclusive for us that you're heading to Ireland? Uh, no, no, no. I, I've been telling everybody. Uh, so, <laughs> but you are nevertheless welcome to a pint at whatever my pub turns out to be. Uh, so, my granddad was Irish. So that's how I was able to, to claim through him. Uh, in fact, I have a a telegram here on the wall in Gaelic informing his mother that uh, one of her sons had died in North Africa. Um, but because uh, no, I, I have I have seen people open carrying weapons. Um, I saw people going to a festival for families where children were getting their faces painted and so forth. And guys with shotgun, not many. I've, I, it's been unusual. But of course, we live in the city. We don't live out in the country. But um, so people are relatively more sane here. But carrying rifles and shotguns into a uh, anyway uh, i'm getting out but um so i can't remember why I'm, oh i know somehow that was connected to inflation i don't remember how now um but oh i know because uh, the you uh, still fighting that same war uh and uh in texas you see these bumper stickers that say secede uh and, and so forth it's 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 really horrifying absolutely horrifying um but of course if we increase minimum wage that's going to cause the price of hamburgers and you know French fries and so forth to go up. Okay, I mean, if you want these people to be paid better, there is a cost. Uh, now, it also means that we're going to have less dependence on social services. We're going to have people who can take some pride in their lives. We're going to have uh, uh, you know less on uh, less crime and so forth. So, um, but every policy shouldn't have to end up being it benefits me. Um, you know, monetarily or whatever, um, it wouldn't benefit me. I mean, I'm a college professor, so uh, I get to have cheap gardening uh, and cheap, you know, uh, uh, I guess, you know, food at restaurants and so forth. It would become more expensive. But then that's the cost of living in a civil, if that's the cost of living in a civilized society, we already want to go to Ireland. Uh, so, yes, uh, it can absolutely result from socially useful processes like increasing minimum wage or uh, and I don't know, I, I assume your, your uh, listeners slash viewers know about the job program that's so common uh, to MMT, the idea that the government should stand ready to create a job or, or to give a job to anyone who can't find one in the private sector. So that's what I meant by it can result from a socially useful process. Now, on the other hand, 
uh, what happened in the 70s. Uh, and, and, you know, clearly this is a, a, a complicated political matter. Uh, if I lived in an Arab country and felt screwed over, uh, then I'd be like, yeah, and what comes around goes around. Uh, but after the 73 Arab-Israeli war, uh, when they decided, screw you, uh, U.S. and the West, and we're going to you know, withhold the supply of oil, uh, then that very clearly redistributed the income to them. Now, our view was this was not a socially useful thing to happen. But then, of course, it wasn't really about economics. It was about politics. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I will stop there. Period. Full stop. So the, so the, the fourth point you made as well is that money, increasing the money supply doesn't cause inflation. Again, can you elaborate on that for the audience? Yes, th that's something I used to teach um, because I learned it that way. And, and it's interesting, those of us coming from this perspective, almost all of us learned the mainstream view and that's almost all we learned. And we had to like, most of the people who felt like we did quit the program. They're like, well, this, this, in fact, I remember early on thinking, um, this is insane, I'm learning about a model where it describes the Great Depression as people quit their jobs on purpose. It was all voluntary unemployment. And um, this is one of Milton Friedman's models. Um, and so I thought, what am I doing here? Uh, but then we you know, found these other things. And so I, I have taught in the past that increase the money supply causes inflation. But then you know, finally read enough post-Keynesian work, which of course is the work inspired by Keynes, which is not the same as Keynesian. Keynesian is, is the, as Joan Robinson said, the bastardized version of what Keynes said. But um, think about that. Th th this is Milton Friedman's explanation of why increase in the money supply causes inflation, right? It's from a, a classic article that I had to read in grad school, uh, Optimum Quantity Theory of Money, something like that. Okay, so he sets up an island. Let's say there's this island, you know, and that's fine. I mean, we all do little examples like this. I'm not criticizing for that. We all have to make simplifying assumptions. Um, everyone on the island already has a job, so we're at full employment. Everyone already has as much savings as they'd like to have, uh, as much as much of their savings in cash as they would like to have. So they, they don't want, really want any more cash. But then the, the central bank comes in and flies a helicopter. He said, let's just say a helicopter flies over. And at that point, you just say, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense because it, the, the Federal Reserve is about to or the central bank is about to engage in an act it can't engage in in the real world. And I don't just mean dropping out of a helicopter, but I'll get I'll get back to that. But I just want to point that out as a place where we have to come back to. Uh, so he says the helicopter flies over, drops all the money out, uh, and people already had as much cash as they wanted. So when they got this new cash, they had an excess, uh, what, what do we call it? Excess money balances. And I've seen Paul Krugman use these concepts as well. As, uh, um, excess money balances. And then we go out and spend them. And then that caught, and remember, we were already at full employment by assumption, um, even though we were rarely at full employment. Uh, and then all we did was bid up prices. Right. So uh, so therefore, don't do that. Um, all right. Well, above and beyond the assumption of full employment. What the helicopter pilot in that example did was increase people's income. That's fiscal policy. That's not monetary policy. Monetary policy only changes one asset from one form to another. Uh, if I'm the U.S. Federal Reserve and I'm engaging in an open market purchase so that I, can, I have brand new dollar bills I want in the economy, I buy treasury bills from you, all right? So you're no wealthier than you were before. Um, and, and so as a con, now it's possible that you may take those dollars and go and spend them, um, but there's no such thing as I gave you more, more cash than you wanted. And that's the whole core of the monetarist argument and what's derived from that just in general, 
that we can give people more cash than they wanted. And then they will they'll spend it and cause inflation. And uh, way back when I first started the Forbes blog, I answered every single comment. And I don't anymore because there's a lot of insane people there. Um, apparently, I am. My parents weren't married when I was born, according to one person, um, and, and on and on. So I stopped reading them. Um, but I was still reading it back when I did a post on money growth can't cause inflation. And a very nice man commented, and we had a very reasonable exchange. And he was an economist, a PhD economist from the University of Chicago. And to cut a long story short, he kept using, well, I kept asking him, okay, but how does the Federal Reserve give you cash you didn't want? And he, was, he would answer, literally, well, it's like putting logs in a fireplace. I said, no, 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 okay, fair enough. We all like analogies. How does the Federal Reserve give you more cash than you want? Well, it's like planting apple, apple trees in a grove. He literally gave me analogy after analogy, and he never had an answer to something that is really very basic. How can monetary policy make people wealthier? Um, it doesn't. It can indirectly do so if it lowers interest rates and you know uh, in, investment and consumption go up and so forth. But the helicopter thing wasn't just a uh, you know a, a, an analogy. It was an analogy that if you take that out, the whole thing falls apart. It's impossible to give people money they don't want. Now, fiscal policy can cause inflation, uh, but as it did during World War II. Uh, in the United States when we were at full employment and still spending, 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 it caused uh, terrible inflation. It would have if it hadn't been for wage and price controls. Um, but uh, no, monetary policy can't. You cannot give people money they don't want. Therefore, you cannot give them excess money balances. The whole helicopter thing is a sham. And, and whether or not Friedman honestly believed these things or he was just extremely anti-government and, you know, I, I don't know. He was, I, I saw a very interesting I was co-authoring a piece with a, a guy who's a professor in communications, and he was talking about uh, the Milton Friedman series that had been on TV years ago, um, Free to Choose, and John Kenneth Galbraith's series, uh, Age of Capitalism, something like that. Or, or, I can't remember the name of that one. But he said, this sort of talking about the rhetoric being used. Friedman is talking to people on the street in simple analogies. He's winning people over. Galbraith is coming off as the I'm so clever uh, you know, as scholar. Uh, and unfortunately, Galbraith was right and Friedman was wrong. But the way this story was, was sold um, was very effective uh, by Friedman and, and uh, the other neoliberals. John, can I just get some clarification on that then? Because I'm, I'm looking at this trying to be our audience here. And, and to make it clear, what we're seeing is changing the money supply in terms of um, in terms of interest rates can affect inflation. But putting more money into the system, like increasing fiscal spending, can cause inflation. Yes, that's basically right. Monetary policy, um, and, and only one kind of monetary policy are they talking about. They're talking about increasing or decreasing the money supply. They're not talking about the interest rate changes. Um, but they're saying that if the um, Bank of England prints too much money, then this gives people in the public more money. No, it doesn't. Because they don't just print it and fly a helicopter over and drop it out. The way the, 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 the way the Bank of England is going to increase the money supply is either buying financial assets from you, in which case you're equally as wealthy as you were before, or they're going to, to loan money to banks, which banks will only borrow if they think they can turn around and loan it out, out to people to start with. So um, now interest rates, A, are a very minor factor. 
there, there's, there's a lot of research in the U.S. that says that um, it's very interesting. The economics discipline in the U.S. sees interest rates as terribly important. You know, if we lower those, the economy takes off. If we raise them, the economy collapses. And yet when they do empirical research on it, they find that, uh, for example, with firms building you know, new investment, um, they don't care that much about interest rates. They'd rather have lower than higher, but they don't care that much. But returning to your point, William, um, the, the, the real key here is that printing money and using monetary policy to inject it into the, into the economy is not inflationary. Printing money and having the government spend it as fiscal policy, as the United States did during World War II, absolutely can be. But that's not their argument. Their argument is all about monetary policy. Uh, now, you know, when we get around to MMT, then the fiscal policy thing becomes relevant and there's something to say about that, but I'll, I'll hold off because you have some job guarantee questions. But th that is the bottom line, monetary policy. And, and I have, if you look for money growth can't cause inflation uh, in Forbes and John Harvey, you'll see that piece that I wrote years ago now um, that kind of went over all the issues involved. Again, I was born in 1974 in Scotland and the level of inflation that year was 16.4%. And it's been really interesting hearing you talk about this because inflation has, for my whole life, been this bogeyman that it is the thing that derails economies. And I'm sure there is still truth behind that. And, you know, we hear these examples of what's happened in other countries and, and other times. But asking you to kind of look back on those 40 years, you know, since the, since the mid-70s, um, did we take the correct actions to curb inflation in the West, or should we have done something that completely different? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, and uh, let me say, first of all, I, I have a, I, I speak to a lot of civic groups, you know, uh, little, uh, the Unitarian Church has a little, you know, a group and, and so forth. So anyway, I, I have a whole file of, of PowerPoints that I use to give presentations. And one of them is on inflation. And all the people in the U.S. who were saying, after the financial crisis that we're about to have hyperinflation because of the Federal Reserve, um, you, know, you know, monetizing the U.S. deficit spending and so forth. And when you look at the data, this was after the financial crisis and on it was one of the lowest periods of inflation since World War II. All right. So that didn't happen. And, I, and when I use this in class, I show my students and I have it broken down by decade. I said, if you really wanted to understand inflation, what decade would you really want to know about? Well, the 1970s, because you can see it right there. It has the highest rate. Like, I want to know about that. I'm curious about that. What happened there? So uh, absolutely, that is a very key time. Uh, I was 13 in 1974, which means that I was learning to drive in 77 and gas prices were through the roof and I couldn't drive. Um, but of course, that was all from, you know, th th there's a, uh, a, a the 1973 Arab-Israeli war. Um, the Egyptians and the Syrians surprised the Israelis. Uh, despite the fact that Western intelligence services were um, telling them that, you know, hey, there's about to be, uh, they're about to invade you. Uh, the uh, Israeli cabinet didn't believe it. They all had to resign after the war. Um, but they were surprised. Uh, the Syrians surprised them, but the Israelis barely held them off. The Egyptians were incredibly, they, they were successful beyond their wildest dreams. They, they got across the canal uh, and they were able to control the Israeli Air Force, which had been a problem for them in the past. Um, but they were they didn't know what to do once they got across the canal. They're like, gosh, we don't want to, we weren't expecting to be this successful. So they kind of slowed down and that gave you know, the U S uh, plenty of time to help Israeli uh, Israel push them back. So now you have the Arab countries, which could have done this at any time. They could have limited the supply of oil at any time. There, there was no reason why they had to wait until 1973, but 
there was always this interesting political problem. Let's say the three of us are, you know, dominate the oil uh, market. And we are all going to agree to reduce the total supply of oil to X. Well, I want as big a chunk of that X as I can get. We're going to be driving the price way up. So none of us really wants to cut back that much because if, if the other two of you cut way back and I don't, I'm filthy rich. You've helped drive the price up by cutting back on how much oil you're pumping out of the ground. Uh, and I, I get to win. So after the war, though, they were like, tell me where to sign. All right. I, we're ticked off. Uh, we're not going to let this happen again. Uh, and we're going to let the West know what you know we mean business in a different way. So we have like tripling of oil prices and so forth. Now, how do you fight that? Um, you certainly do not do what the United States did in the Volcker recession. And I'm going to look up here and it's the 1980s. I can't remember which part of the 80s. Uh, but Paul Volcker, the, um, oh, the my phone must have heard me say that because there it is. Uh, we've got uh, in the 1980s, 1981. All right. So the 8082 recession was caused on purpose by the Federal Reserve in the U.S. because it was dominated by monetarists. And they were trying to throw the economy into a deep recession, which they greatly succeeded at. It was the worst recession since the Great Depression. And as far as the height of that, it was still worse than the financial crisis recession, although the financial crisis one was, was longer. Um, so they did this on purpose, all right, to try to get rid of the inflation. Now, what is that going to accomplish? I, I'm a consumer and I got to go out and buy gas that's, you know, uh, much more expensive. And then that price, of course, the price of gas uh, filters into so many other products as well because people have to be shipped by, you know, uh, you use, you know, fuel to ship things and so forth. Um, so, but I know this is going to help a bunch of you are about to be out of work. Um, well, no, that doesn't help at all. And that, that is the strategy. Uh, I don't know what happened in, in the UK to try to fight that. Um, but in the short run, there was nothing that could be done. Uh, certainly what you didn't want to do was make people's lives even more difficult, which is what they did. Um, in the long run, what they did was uh, people learned to, you know, shift different production processes shifted away from oil. Um, it, it made finding oil in the North Sea profitable. Um, it wasn't before. And so we, they found more oil. And unfortunately, it made fracking. Well, but that was much later. Um, so uh, the only solution was was political or, or, you know, political A and B, a long term you know, learning to leave, be less dependent on oil. But did we approach it the right way, William, which, which was your question? Uh, in the U.S., absolutely not. Now, here's the really unfortunate thing, is that oil prices started to come down not long after that. And so they're all patting themselves on the back. Aha, we did it. We solved inflation. Um, when in fact, and I, I love doing this with my students, what two countries went to war, uh, and was it 1980 or 79, uh, that have almost the exact same name? Um, and then they eventually get around to Iran-Iraq. I said, that's right. Iraq invaded Iran, hoping that the Iranian revolution would make it, um, you know, well, well we're going to go in there and they'll just collapse. Well, instead, it was like the movie Independence Day, where the aliens come to Earth and we all get together. Well, that's what Iran did. They all got together. It actually united the country in a way that uh, Saddam Hussein was not expecting. So it ended up being a long, bloody war, right? A very expensive. Well, they can both sell oil. And while the other um, you know, OPEC countries are still restricting the supply, they're like, screw this. You know, we're going to sell more oil because, you know, we need the money for the war. And then everyone else is saying, well, if they're cheating, I'm cheating. Uh, and so the whole you know, cartel fell apart and oil prices not only slowed down their rate of increase, but actually decreased. Uh, so 
That's what solved the war. I'm, I'm sorry. That's what solved the inflation. Uh, but the way we approached it was, I got to tell you, some, when, when I tell people these things, I feel like they must think that I'm lying, that this is what the mainstream in economics believes. And it, it, it's just like at the beginning of, of Keynes's general theory, where he says that what I'm explaining here is simple and should be obvious. The problem is that you've already got these other ideas in your head and I have to pull those out first. And it's a much bigger fight to pull those out than it is to introduce the new ideas. So uh, I'll stop there. But no, we did not address it well at all. We in fact made things worse. Right. From the UK perspective, um, leading into the Thatcher government, they used that as an excuse to completely um, disable the unions. Yes. And, they were, and that was a huge, inflation became a huge political benefit to them. And also at that time, we had North Sea oil coming on stream. So right. there was a there was a revenue stream coming in as well at that time. So, um, But inflation absolutely fundamentally laid the ground for neoliberalism in the UK. And that's a concern that we've got is that because people are seeing inflation tick up again, that there's going to be this remember the 1970s. And that's really what I wanted to get out from you today is that it's it's a completely different situation. And and I'd love you yeah. to just very briefly tell, tell our audience why inflation in the 1970s is so different from the type of inflation that we would experience now. Right, right. As a matter of fact, I have a, a chapter forthcoming in, in a book put together by MMT Scotland. Uh, and one of the things I address in there was the 1973 IMF crisis. Is that what it was? Um, and, and not to go into that, but once again, if you read the background on it, there wasn't a crisis. The, um, uh, the oh, um, Liberal Party, uh, not Labour, Liberal Party, they wanted to go neoliberal. And so they used it as an excuse. Uh, and, and so they didn't even need Thatcher at that point. But anyway. Um, so no, in the 1970s, uh, that inflation, again, always start with redistribution of income. Who is getting wealthier and does that make me happy or sad? It can really be that simple. Uh, in the 1970s, who was getting wealthier? Oil, oil companies, the state of Texas, uh, and the oil exporters. Well, uh, as I said earlier, there's not much we could have done about it because it was a political issue, but no, it doesn't make me very happy, uh, especially, I mean, we are privileged. What about people in the developing world uh, who depended heavily on oil? This created massive debt uh, in, the, in the developing world. We had the whole petrodollar recycling uh, phenomenon. So the 1970s uh, inflation, ask yourself who was better off and do you think that was beneficial or, or harmful? Now, today, as the economy is taking off in the US and we see um, uh, prices rising, used cars, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and also, in, in, you know, we see lots of those health wanted signs right now at like um, fast food restaurants and restaurants. They can't get enough workers. Um, so they're going to bid up the wages of those workers. I'm OK with that. I don't have a problem with that. That's a that's a different source of inflation uh, The the people who will be getting wealthier. I'm OK with them getting wealthier. The people who got wealthier when we needed more uh, medicinal alcohol. I was okay with that. The people who got wealthier when we needed more ceiling fans in the 70s, that's okay because it, it, it performed, you know, there's some Scottish guy named Adam Smith who talked about this. Um, and he said, you know, that, that uh, well, well, the invisible hand, that we're helping other people uh, without intending to do so. And that can happen. I, in general, I, you know, I think that there's some serious flaws in the capitalist system. Um, but there are times when like, okay, good, that'll cause more ceiling fans to be produced. 
could we get the government involved too? Sure, you know, if it's a desperate need, but um, but you have to ask right now. Uh, and you can look up the data. It's it, as I said, U.S. inflation numbers just came out today, and uh, they showed where the prices went up the most. Okay, am I okay with that or not? So does that help any uh, or? Yeah, well, a follow-up question would be, yeah. and, and again, looking at 19, the inflation in the 1970s and now, a lot of people talk about the difference between the global supply chains. And again, thinking back to 1970, you know, if you wanted a car, there was 100 cars on the lot, and it would take six months for another car to arrive. So yeah. prices went high. Now, you're probably waiting two weeks for a car to, to arrive. So what impact does this global supply chain that we hear so much about have on inflation? Well, actually, right now, uh, I think there, there are some, well, well, you have a supply chain, but there's some critical links here and there. You know, And it only takes one link to be slowed down, to slow down the whole process. Um, I just had to buy a new computer. It's a beautiful machine sitting right over there um, because I'm a big computer gamer and, and I, I can't, I have to have a really good computer. Um, so my old one died. I paid more than twice as much as I did for the other computer because the parts are in such short supply right now uh, that because of COVID, um, A, people were sitting around their house playing computer games. So the demand went up. Uh, and B, uh, in China, where these poor devils are having to go into these, you know, mines that are creating, causing cancer and so forth. But th there was a, there was a slowdown in production. Uh, and, and so as a consequence right now, uh, one of the problems with the global supply chain is it isn't working real well. I mean, it's not, not the chain itself. It's the problem is the COVID um, that, you know, right now we're paying higher prices for computers because we can't get the parts because of covid and they're, they're way back in, in in you know china and wherever else they, they produce these things um otherwise i don't have a direct answer for you know the, for your question i, I guess uh, i wish will milberg were here he's a really good trade theory economist from from our school of thought uh and he's done some real every time i read one of his articles i, I learn something new a really nice fella too um, but he's written quite a bit about the impact of supply chains on world trade and how they tend to make recessions worse and harder to recover from, from you know, harder to recover and so forth. But I don't know with inflation what, what I think I would still end up tracing it back to individual markets uh, if I had to think about it. No, sorry, that was an inadequate answer, but it's, it's all I got. <laughs> so I guess that from my my understanding is that uh, most advanced economies have actually lived through a deflationary period. I mean, certainly there, you know, throughout my lifetime, I'll be 55 this year. A lot of things that were incredibly expensive, even 10 years ago, I'm thinking, for example, a laptop, you know, and how 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 incredibly that expensive, that, that, that fold-away computer was when it first arrived on the scene and how much, you know, you can pay, it's like a tenth of what it was then. So there's, there are clearly things that have deflated in price. Um, and in the UK, obviously, there are things that are inflated in price. So here there's a lot of inflation with um, price, uh, with, with, ho with, with, with homes, with buildings. So, but on the whole, my understanding is that, you know, advanced economies have experienced deflation partly because aging populations was one of the, the, the reasons. Um, I also wondered if perhaps that people like myself are, are very much more tuned into ecology and are concerned about just not buying stuff I don't need or, in fact, buying it secondhand if possible as well. 
I think that probably a lot more has to do with outsourcing. Um, that, you know, if I can get someone to do this for $10 an hour instead of 35 and for them to be able to work over an open flame while in a gasoline suit because there are no regulations here, it's going to be a lot cheaper. Uh, and that's speaking of Will Milberg, one of the things he talks about in his book on, on international trade is this massive influx of new labor that took place, uh, first of all, when the Berlin Wall fell. And so now we have all these workers that have been added in at lower wages. Uh, and then, of course, we have you know, firms exploiting labor in you know, Indonesia and in the Far East. Um, so uh, I think that probably most of the decline in prices comes from that. I mean, uh, I'm sure almost every bit of this was was uh, made in China. So um, we've externalized inflation. Yeah. 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 And what we did was, well, as, as William pointed out, we beat the unions to death. Uh, and of course, they did that in the U.S. as well. When uh, under um, uh, Reagan, the, I don't know if you know about the air traffic controllers strike. It was a, a huge event. Um, air traffic controllers had a union. They struck, uh, and normally the government had you know sort of either been ambivalent or, or taken the side of labor. Uh, and uh, Reagan said, "Well, you're all fired." Uh, well, this is kind of an important industry, <laughs> air traffic controllers, but you're all fired. Uh, and we're replacing you with, you know, I guess the people from the Air Force, that sort of thing, until we can train new people. So um, I think a big part of the uh, of any deflation comes from the fact that um, we've driven wages way down. Central banks still have price stability as their core function. So is curbing inflation so important that it seems to trump all other objectives in the economy? Please, please don't use that word that you just used. Um, <laughs> Trump. Trump. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, you'd be surprised how many Trump flags are still are up here in Texas. Great. Uh, so um, I, I would start off by saying I wouldn't call inflation good or bad. Uh, again, immediately check who is gaining, who is losing. So always that's the question. Uh, inflation is simply a side effect of a redistribution of income. Um, then absolutely not. There, there is no reason for central banks to have as their goal price stability. Uh, the real way to control those prices uh, are, is not going to be through monetary policy because monetary policy doesn't cause it in the first place. So monetary policy also really doesn't solve it. Um, let, let's say that you have an industry that is uh, highly concentrated, like the healthcare industry in the U.S., uh, and you want to you know, pull prices down. Uh, because I mean, year after year, I mean, you, I know you've seen these numbers. Americans pay more per capita on health care than anybody else on the planet, and we rank like 35th in life expectancy. So you'd expect a little better than that. Um, so the way to control that, though, is through you know, either government regulation or break up the health care firms or, gosh, what a radical idea that every other developed nation on the planet already has, and that is having um, uh, public health. Uh, but... Um, it makes no sense. Their goal should be full employment. Uh, and, and that's it. So the, the inflation, even if it becomes a problem, which it absolutely can, it's not dealt with by monetary policy. The ECB just released their latest monetary uh, guidance. And I'd like your help on this because it says the ECB adopts symmetric 2% inflation target over medium term. Now, any idea what that means and what impact uh, that target's likely to have for the euro and beyond. So it was the symmetric 2% inflation 
over the medium term. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. All right. I see. Um, apparently, and I just looked it up, uh, the symmetrical, uh, well, uh, Google tells us or Wikipedia tells us that symmetric uh, inflation targeting is that we're going to try to c control inflation if it goes above or below the target. All right. So as opposed to, you know, well, we're OK if it goes below, but we don't want it to go above. Uh, that's not the case. Symmetric is both directions. Um, and gosh, 2 percent is, is I don't know if you've noticed this, but the uh, European Union tends to be set up for France and Germany uh, and not so much for everyone else. Uh, and it's everyone else that's going to have a terrible problem with that. And they're going to be told that they need to tighten their belts so that they can get 25 percent unemployment and things like this. Uh, but uh, no, that, that makes no sense to me. Great. And that, that is over the medium term. So I think that's giving them a little bit of leeway over the next two to five years. But you can definitely say that longer into well, medium term, that they're still going to be looking for this tight fiscal policy. Right, right, right. And John, I, you mentioned that um, full employment should be the target for central banks. Could you tell me what Nehru is? Um, and, and Karen has referred to as the nefarious Nehru. And I'd love to know uh, what that is in terms of inflation and how it relates to full employment. Yeah, that, that takes us right back to, to Friedman again. Um, let's see. Non-accelerating inflation. Inflationary rate of unemployment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, this well, now this one's locked into the idea that all inflation is bad and that there is a trade-off between unemployment and inflation such that when unemployment goes down, inflation goes up because there's you know, more competition, say, in the labor market, for example. And when unemployment goes down, I'm sorry, when unemployment goes up, inflation comes down because there's, there's excess you know, uh, laborers and so we don't have to pay as much. The, the economy is all about the laborers. I mean, uh, it, it should not be a target that, uh, as, as Pavlina Chernova says, just the right amount of unemployment, uh, you know, and... and uh, so, so that's what Nero is about, to have just the right amount of unemployment. How do we know it's just right? Uh, inflation is not accelerating. It's at 2% and staying there or at 3% and staying there or whatever. And um, first off, I would say that the kind of inflation caused that, that, that it's trying to address, wherein um, you have low unemployment, I say let that inflation go. This is redistributing income to workers uh, in, that are highest demand and very likely the workers who have been most screwed. It's not when unemployment's really low, it's not that, oh, no, CEO wages are being bid up. It's that, oh, no, McDonald's wa you know, wages are being bid up. Uh, let it happen. But, you know, it's also related to, but not the same as Mil Milton Friedman's idea of the natural rate of unemployment, that um, it, it, th there's a rate towards which the economy is automatically attracted. Right? Uh, and it can change over time, which, by the way, if it's your theory, makes it really convenient. Uh, oh, that, that's it right now. Um, and... Uh, the definition that he gives, uh, which I've, I've shared with my class before, some online, it's when all markets clear, uh, you know, it, it, it's a very fuzzy definition. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, God works in mysterious ways. Uh, and so so does the natural rate of, un of unemployment. But uh, Nehru is, yeah, is used as an inflation, uh, you know, just the right amount of unemployment to keep inflation from accelerating. Well, good Lord, uh, during the 70s, that wouldn't have worked at all. Because when the oil prices went up and the inflation went up, so did the unemployment. So now what is our Nehru? Uh, you know, 50% unemployment? I don't know. It's a very damaging concept. 
Yeah. We all know about this traditional definition of inflation, that there's too much money chasing too few products and services. But I wanted to ask about another form of inflation, the inflation caused by monopolistic pricing. What role does this tend to play in an economy and why don't we ever hear about this type of inflation? Yeah, that, that used to be actually a big topic. Um, and then, and I assume under Thatcher as well, under Reagan, we stopped, we stopped enforcing antitrust laws. Uh, because if the market's doing it, it must be right. But that's that 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 fits exactly into um, what I'm trying to talk about here. Just because there's inflation isn't good or bad. Who's getting the money? Well, if it's monopolistic firms that are able to, you know, for by, by whatever means uh, control the market, then it's not good. That uh, they, they are attracting more resources than consumers really want them to have. Right. Uh, so absolutely. And of course, you can't address monopolistic inflation, which is the kind that, well, OPEC was a perfect example of that on a global scale, but you can't address it with monetary policy. It's impossible. Uh, there's no way you can do that. There's, there's uh, a huge amount of uh, monopolistic pricing going on in the UK and the amount of assets that we have privatized and given over to monopolistic company oh, pricing yes. is huge. And we know that's a huge problem and with any any percentage of inflation, but it's something that not only do people know about, I don't think many people even think about. So um, it's it's important, I think, that we, we kind of cover that when we're looking at inflation. Right, I totally agree. And that's what I, what I say in class, is I, I differentiate between demand-driven inflation. We want more medicinal you know, alcohol or whatever, versus the sort of supply side driven kind, uh, uh, which, which is what you're talking about. And the, the Economist even came out with a piece not too terribly long ago, talking about how, um, how much more concentrated industries are becoming uh, in the West. And this is, I mean, you know, I, I, can now be a, I can now be a hardcore, you know, Adam Smith supporter and say that's bad. Uh, that the point was competition. The only way you get the good outcomes that are supposedly accompanying capitalism is with competition. Um, but no, uh, th th that is absolutely a huge issue. And, and that piece on um, uh, th that I have at Forbes on money growth doesn't cause inflation, I have a follow-up piece the next day or so. It's actually my most read piece is what actually causes inflation. And, and it goes into that as well. Um, but you're absolutely right. And I, you're right. People don't know about it. And of course, and this is a different topic, but, you know, we're privatizing all these. Um, well, we're, we're starving public um, industry, if you will, and then blaming it for its you know failure and then privatizing it. Uh, and the same things happened over here, although we don't have nearly as much public you know, services mm -hmm. to start with. That's what's happening with the NHS in, yep. In, yep. in England and a little bit to a lesser extent Scotland without a shadow of a doubt. Um, John, that's been fantastic. I'd Thank you very much. Uh, perhaps I can share a glass of Laphroaig with you at some point. Uh, One day, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, John. Bye now. Bye-bye. Au revoir, mes amis. Yes. <laughs>